This is Gutterball. The Lebowski Deepcast. Like, oh, it's a heist movie. No, it's a stoner movie. In each episode, Brad and Adam discuss a single minute of The Big Lebowski. They were teasing this movie in a way that made it seem like a heist. Providing insight. His dance is just excellent. So graceful. Commentary. They shot it all on a green screen. You can't do a pickup. And conjecture. He has found himself in a world turned upside down. Now, Gutterball. Where to begin? Where? Where to begin? I don't know. I kind of feel like just, I don't know what you're thinking about beginning, but I'm kind of like really into just like diving into the big Lebowski. I am too. I want to go right now. Let's do it. Let's do it. Do you want to, do we, wait, do we just play the minute now then? Yeah, let's do it. Let's play the minute right now. <laughs> Holy shit, okay. Let's do I'm it. Into 49 seconds? Yes. Yeah. Boom. Do it. Tell me about yourself, Jeffrey. Well, not much to tell. I, um... I was uh, one of the authors of the Port Huron Statement. Uh, the original Port Huron Statement. Uh-huh. Not the... Compromise second draft. Uh, and then I, uh, you ever hear of the Seattle Seven? Mm. That was me. And um, there were six other guys. Uh, and then uh, uh, the music business, briefly. Oh? Uh, yeah, uh, Rhodey from Metallica. Oh. Speed of Sound Tour. Mm-hmm. Bunch of assholes. And, uh, you know, a little of this, a little of that. Uh, my career's slowed down a little lately. What do you do for... All right. Back. <laughs> I mean... That... We learn a lot about the dude's history right now. A lot. I, so, th- it's like we just... For, <laughs> for once, we actually want to talk about the movie. Just... <laughs> Let's I get know. into it. I know. This I want to talk dense. about the Port Huron statement. This shit is dense, man. Yeah. Port Huron statement. Seattle 7. Yeah. Jeffrey Dowd. Metallica. Metallica. Jesus, yes. man. Speed of sound tour. I mean, yeah, there's no there's no time for chit chat, you know. So, Tars, you're going to have to stay here. <laughs> Sorry, I made an interstellar reference. I promised I wasn't going to bring it away, but... You know, we have the whole... uh, The Star Wars trailer was released. Oh, yeah, shit. See, here we go. We played the minute, or... Fuck it. Let's talk about Star Wars. But now, come on. Come on, though. When you hear... Like, all of it's awesome, and it's like, oh, my God, and the music, and it swells, and you see the... You know, the crash-landed Star Destroyer. It's all fucking awesome, right? And the, mm-hmm. the music in particular, like, they weren't getting fancy. They were hearkening back to the, the early times, the original times, the times that we all remember. But then, Luke's talking and the blah, blah, yeah, and it goes black. But then you just hear Han's voice come out of the darkness and say, Chewie. And you see them. Yes. Yeah. 
We're home. They know how to do it. Every grown man wants to just like his bottom lip is quivering a little bit. He's like, I will not cry. I know that strong men also cry, but I will not cry. I mean, shit, man. And then you have to lay on top of that. The uh, Matthew McConaughey scene from Interstellar cut to that trailer. Right. Which I'm surprised yeah. at myself that I didn't think that was actually better than the original trailer. But the original trailer is so, so, so very good. Right. It's actually better than that. Like, it, like yeah, combining Interstellar pre- and Star Wars, you would think that would be the best thing ever. It's done so masterfully, but it's not. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Please yeah, continue. I was going to say, I also saw another Christopher Nolan Star Wars trailer connection. Someone added the soundtrack from inception to the star wars trailer and when i saw that description and like everyone's linking to him like oh this is gonna be cool i want to see this is that zimmer you know all that stuff but like it wasn't that cool it wasn't as cool as the trailer the trailer's that cool is it is it han zimmer i think it might be because he did uh interstellar pretty sure yeah i think i think that is han zimmer inception that dude's a maniac um, so that wasn't as good. Well, no, of course it's not because it doesn't have any of the nostalgia. Right. But I thought, you know, I just thought it would work really well together. I could see in my imagination, it could work when you see this, just like, I want to watch it with the original music. Yeah, no, you're right. It doesn't have the nostalgia. Well, it's, it's kind of, and also it's kind of like the, um, 2001 deal with the music. Right. And like, here's the guy who composed, like worked his ass off to compose the music. And, but they had already started with like the, uh, you know, the rough out and they had the temp track in there, which was the classical piece by whoever. It's like, yeah, we're just going to go with the temp track. Yeah. (laughs) Cause we're married to it now. Cause it's beautiful. Right. Well, I, this could be a similar situation though, where you have the person that worked their ass off on the music, the star Wars music. Uh, John Williams, but then it's like, oh, let's just put this other piece of music in there. It's like, no, gracias. Doesn't work. But at nope. the same time, like... Now, the Interstellar soundtrack both is... Things are so, it's so so iconic. Oh. The Star Wars music, as well as the, the Spock Zarathustra that's in the beginning of 2001. Well, I'm talking about Interstellar soundtrack. Like, that shit is epic, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. And so is Inception. Like... Zimmer knows his shit, man. It's one of the things that really... I know people are divided on this movie, but I love Interstellar so much. I think that's been pretty well established. But the music, man. The friggin' music. (sighs) It works. But so we have faith in J.J.? I have some faith in him. I think... It could just be similar. I mean, nothing can live up to the expectation. No, of course not. But at the same time, we've been burned so badly. That that's the best thing that could have ever happened to J.J. Abrams is the prequels. Yeah, that it's like people might be ready to be like, all right, we're going to see these. They're going to be awesome. But they are just a movie. They're they're gonna suck, kinda. But we have to see them because they're Star Wars. I mean, it's going to be a really flippin' entertaining movie. Romp. It'll be. It'll a be romp. an entertaining movie. But nothing can be life changing the way it was when we were five. 
you no, know, like it's no. just too big of a too big of an order. Yeah, I, I yeah. anticipate really enjoying it. Love is and as long as you can stay away from trying to nitpick it to death. <laughs> Who would like ever it. do that kind of yeah. shit to a movie? Who would ever go through it minute by minute and try to dissect what was going on in it? Love is not Look a strong enough word. Look for reflections and everything. Like, come on, what kind of guy? It's does that? not a strong enough word to express how I feel about Star Wars. Well, did you hear about? I meant to send you this link, and I didn't. But no, you didn't because um, been... they had the Star Wars celebration this last week, where they've been sucked. more stuff has been coming out. But well, how about, about it's the, coming uh, up on forty years? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Ugh. Go ahead. Sorry. But I was going to yeah Keep I was cutting off. about that yeah I was going to say the um the uh, Star Wars oh shit what is it called now Rogue something Rogue Rogue Fuck. Squadron it's not Rogue Squadron R- Rogue Commando something like that Rogue Death Laser but it's the other um how they're doing the um Rogue Commando films. What does that mean? Anthology so they're, films. There, it's called it's called Rogue One. Rogue Rogue Cop. No, it's called Rogue One. Okay, I was, was close Rogue though. Something. Yeah, I was right there. Samsonite. But it's a. Uh, so Star Wars. So they are making in addition to this new trilogy. They're going all Marvel Cinematic Universe on us because that's right, like the thing right. to do. Now. That's what you do. So they're making other. Star Wars films that will take that will they'll be released in the year between the main trilogy films that will just not it'll be a completely set it'll set in the Star Wars universe but just a different story. We have to thank them for thinking of us. Um they're doing it for us, you know. Yeah, no, just to they help are. us out. True. Can't go two years with no Star Wars. Exactly. Juice. You know, so the first you need one. A, just a tiny taste. You know, you yeah. need a tiny taste. Right. So Christmas 2015 coming right up is this episode seven. Coming right up. It's eight months away, you bastard. Well, it's this year. It's 2015 now. It's the next Christmas. Yeah. But then in Christmas 2016, there is going to be a film called Star Wars Rogue One. Do we have to talk about the fact that, like, between Return of the Jedi and Phantom Menace is the same amount of time between Phantom Menace and this one? Do we have to talk about that at all? Or can we just... Like, that's a little bit of cheating, because that's between Phantom Menace and this one. It's not between... Not between Star Wars and this right. one. I get it. I get it. I'm just talking about, like... like. But you're right. That is crazy. Like pieces like when... of time between when you can yeah. get shit. I measure it with like sticks movies and back to the future movies too. Right. Right. And sticks well, only had one. We movie, had so. this same discussion very early on in this podcast. I know I it. Think. I know we it. talked about time and getting it's, uh, the fickle mistress getting it something. It was not as leather. It's leathery fingers on you or something like that. Well, but death, it stalks us. Of course death, it stalks but. us. Yeah. Because yeah, time, time is the fire in which we burn. That's a Star Trek quote, but Star now, who Trek. Said that, that? Who said that? That was um, Dr. Dr. Soren. Who in the Star hell is Trek, Dr. Soren? In Star Trek Generations. He was played by Malcolm McDowell. The TV show or? Oh, oh, the movie. The movie. The first Next Generation movie that That's came out like Kurt right died. after the TV show. Ended. His very unceremonious death. 
Yes. That was a stupid death. Kirk deserves so much more. That's what everyone says. You don't agree? It was awful. No, it was probably awful. I just don't think. I mean, everyone was like, oh, well, you have to make a movie that bridges the two generations. I was like, you don't need to do that. We don't need to have Kirk ham-fistedly added into this movie at all. Well, I I agree with that. I agree with that. But, like, at least if he's going to be in it, like, have him have a glorious death. Or at least, like... A total nonchalant, like offhanded death, like right. no country Not like for old just men. the fight on the rickety bridge, and then he fell. <laughs> right. Oh, I fell down and I died because yeah, I'm the bridge ancient. got hit by a blast and like it, it, it fell down. That's terrible. Like Spock going into the radiation chamber, sacrificing himself to save. That's beautiful. And I fell down. That's the best you can. Co- there are teams of writers like writing this. Oh, how can we make this story so impactful? What if he falls down? Yes. It's so crazy. It just might work. He'll fall down. Right. <gasps> Nobody's going to see well, it coming. Here's where it gets into the, you know, crazy. Like I could see how in the writer's room. They got stuck in their own concept a little too much because I think the idea and the huge sacrifice that he does is that he leaves the nexus. And that's what I'll hear a lot of like Star Trek fans say that have like overanalyzed this and aren't just looking at the pure optics of the situation of like, yeah, he dies on a rickety bridge. It's that he was in this magical world that no one could ever leave yet. He decides to leave to go because he's such a real person. He leaves the warm embrace. That sounds like a good story, but they didn't convey that story. That story wasn't told to us effectively. Yeah, it was not told effectively. I will agree that that's the problem with. I mean, that's what like literally happens in the movie, but it's not told effectively. They don't use all of the filmic and cinema and cinema language to like all of that cinema grammar. They just like. They, they resorted to like emoticons, bleep, bleep, mm-hmm. bleep, bleep, smiley face, kissy, you know, what? Fuck you. Yes. Terrible. I don't want to get bogged down in Star Trek yes. generate. What year but did that come out? 1994 I'm, must have been. No, that long ago. Really? Well, Star Trek, the next generation, it, its last episode was in 1994. And I think the movie came out like right afterwards that like it was over. And then that summer, the movie came out. If I'm remembering correctly, maybe there was a year. I don't think so, though. I think it came right out. I begrudgingly checked. It is 94. Yeah. Well, Star Trek. Don't you yeah me. I hear you yelling me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Star Trek, the next generation. <laughs> so this is what it originally was with the whole time stalking us death stalks us is because the observation that star trek the next generation is older than the original star trek was Mm. when star trek the next generation was out Mm -mm. like star trek the next generation in essence looks like star trek the original series now that can't be true well, I'm going to say it can't. Well, I don't know, because you have to put yourself in that mindset, right? Well, no, You'd I mean, have like to go into your daughter's mind. To figure I'm, that I'm out. talking empirically, like by empirically, years. it's true. The years oh, is true. God, the original Star Trek, there was 20 years. Pretty much there's only 20 years in between. 
I did, and Star Trek Next Generation started in 1987. So come 2007, it was kind of true already. I mean, Star Trek The Next Generation doesn't look terrible. No, it doesn't. But maybe, you know, think back to Star Trek, the original series. You know, my dad would put it on and watch it. And it he, probably didn't look terrible to him. It was just like, yeah, it just looks like a regular TV show. Really? No, but we, we but he wasn't <laughs> aware of all the... If if your dad went back and watched the original series now, would he think that it looked terrible? No. Or would it would well, all I don't of that know. shit be invisible to him? I mean, granted, you watch Star Trek: The Next Generation, or yeah, and it is kind. You can see there's some really bad shit in there. This is why you, there. You granted, all- they did like 180 episodes or something, so they they need all that bad. You know that shit happens, right? Yeah. They all can't be great. Every effect, every shot, every prop can't be great. Some are obviously like, that's just a dust buster you're holding upside down. You're building like widgets. Stupid. You know, you got to put the widgets yeah. out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, the show was kind of groundbreaking in that it was some of the first to use like CGI in a television show. Yeah. And that early stuff. Are you talking about Next Generation now? Next Generation. Yeah. That early stuff, like year one stuff, it looks... It looks like a PlayStation game, like a PlayStation One game. I remember it being pretty like fucking super, awesome. Yeah, but I'm saying if you go back now and watch it, it looks like a PlayStation game. Sure. Like sure. that Klingon ship is made about is made up of about maybe ten polygons. You know, you you say this shit, but it's not ten polygons. No, it's not ten. It's probably like a thousand. Right. It's a thousand. Compared okay. to now, if I play an Xbox game, it's probably like ten million. You know, at least. Yeah. But they have little tricks. You know, they have little tricks where they can like, I don't know, cheat the math or some shit. Do uh, do some fractal, some fractal math. Get some repeating areas. That's how they do it, Brad. Yeah. Star Trek they, they The Next Generation. The you, you got me started now. <laughs> one, I'll say one more thing about Star Trek The Next Generation, and maybe we'll go on to Port Huron Statement. Maybe not. I don't know. But um, Star Trek The Next Generation in, in HD. Did we talk about this in the podcast? I they don't think so. Have. It doesn't exist in HD. It was shot for television, right? Well, they went back because, again, it was shot on, on film. film, I'd oh. imagine. And they've gone back. And granted, it's still in the four to three aspect ratio. Oh, why? Because there's probably booms and that's light. how it was shot. Oh, well, that's how. So, OK, so some of these shows that are being remastered, like The Wire. Right. For HD to 16.9. They were probably smart and protected the 16.9. No, they didn't at all. Oh, and actually, ah. the guy, David Simon, that did it and the cinematographer that worked on it, I believe is, is deceased now. So David Simon, though, wrote a big thing about how they work so hard on the visual language and they worked on the visual language in four to three. And he has a lot of like examples like here it is in four to three and look how well it works. And then 16 to nine, it doesn't work as well. Granted, he had a couple other shots where it was like, oh, this looks better in 16 to 9, too, to kind of say it's not all okay, bad. There weren't, like, light stands and shit well, in there. Well, there were lots of those things, but okay. they went through and meticulously, right. like, like special effect them all out. They okay. had to do it, like, shot by shot. So, wait, does it, did they release The Wire in 16 9 HD? Yes, they did. They recently re-released it. Maybe, I think, feel but, like sometime in the last six months. But David Simon's like, nah, don't like it. 
Well, no. Well, David Simon, well, he saw the original. They started doing it, and he saw what they were doing. It was like, no, 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 no. And he went, I think he actually supervised the entire thing because, like, HBO was just going to do it. That wasn't not going to happen. Well, it's kind of like, you know, the Pee Wee Herman, when you see the whatever, all the shit on the outsides, or, like, the Coen brothers, Big Lebowski, when that got uh, put on to Blu-ray. Were they supervising like the color timing and all that shit? No, probably not. You know, probably not. Just like Beatles and Mono, we can talk about that again. We've only talked about it for like seven full episodes. Yeah, anyway. I think we're good with Beatles and Mono. We're good with I that. mean, but don't the, um, don't get me wrong. I could talk about that all day. But yeah, that's the next podcast. It's just Beatles and Mono every <laughs> single episode. But they, they did. Uh, but um, remind me to give a shout out to Beauty Pill at the end yeah. of the episode. But apparently, and I haven't seen this, I've seen the screen grabs and I've seen a lot written about it. You didn't it, acknowledge but... me, though. Are you going to remind me or not? About what? To give a shout out to Beauty Pill at the end of the episode. I'll try to remember that. Okay, continue. Beauty Pill. He did, uh, um, yeah, but some of these shows, like I know, for example, one of your personal favorites, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, suffers from this. As well as some other, but they're again, they're doing the whole like, oh... Redoing it in HD, or at least redoing it in 16 to 9. Um, and they're doing the, th- oh, like in this, like you can see the boom stands. You can see like actors that knew they weren't in the shot, like not being in character and stuff. And it's just horrible. And what, they, they just more or less took the original and was like, oh yeah, just put the 16 to 9. That's how they released on, it? And they've released it that way. Stop it. Really? You can go on, like, because, like, I guess, like, FX, I think, shows Buffy the Vampire. Like, they have their rights. And, like, they recently said, okay, now it's in 16 to 9. No. And apparently it's god-awful like that. Well, Like, if you look, if you, like, if you just Google it, you can find, like, people are constantly posting screen grabs and being like, what the fuck? Like, how could this actually be real? Did John Whipple have anything to do with that? Oh, I doubt he did. See, it's pretty much just someone somewhere had to like, oh, this has to be in 16 to 9. Like today's generation, just the can't be in 4 3. And they're just like, well, all right, let's go back and uncrop it and just air it that way. It was just like they hit a button on the computer to like uncrop Command U or something and then said export. Oh, there it is. It's a little more than that, but that's about the, the size of it. Yeah. Yeah. That, they just did that. And I was just like, all right. They probably didn't even watch it. Hmm. That's that's what it seems like, and there's a couple other shows this happened to recently. I mean, maybe with all the blowback from that, they're they're, they're not going to be doing that again. If you actually were going to try to, like, if you originally shot whatever Buffy or Star Trek or The Wire in four three, and you were protecting for four three, even though the camera was actually capturing sixteen by nine. But you were storytelling for four three, yeah. And all your uh, compositions are designed I, all for right. that. I, I just like it would take so much work to even like approach the the same place that you arrived at shooting for four three, because like eye lines and nose room and right. like negative space and. Like you try to do a close up of someone's eyes, right? You can't. You just can't do it. Like, yeah. like it's it's a totally different shot now. You know what I mean? And like, there's ways you can like scale the footage up and right. You know, if there's a boom or a lighter, like an uh, 
another actor who's not in character on the side of the set where they didn't give a shit because they had they put little pieces of tape on the monitor that they were looking at you know the viewfinder and it's like well that doesn't matter because it's outside of four three it's in the 16 by nine area so ah fuck it like there's ways you can get around that but you have to scale the footage up then and granted like in at least in the case of the wire it was shot on 35 millimeters so you do have like there is some some slack there there's some some latitude you know you can scale some shit up and get away with it it starts to get grainy but then you're left with a shot that still even if you try to make it the same like you're closer in on the character's face if it was a close up or if it was a wide shot like the lines are different it just seems like a Sisyphean affair mhm so I yeah agree. i mean which I, is I, why you end up with these shows the where you just see the boom mics and the or you watch it in 43 but or you just keep it to 43 that's but that's how it the was reason designed. i've never watched the west wing I, it's I, kind I, of like colorizing films in a way right it's almost the same. Okay, let's just give me a minute here because I tried. I know you were a fan of the West Wing, big fan yes, of yes. the West Wing, right? Yeah, big fan. Granted, I stopped watching when it jumped the shark, but yes. Okay, I, I don't point. know anything about that. It was on HBO or AMC or wherever the fuck FX. I don't even know where it was on. What you mean? What? Where it aired originally? Yeah, where it yeah, is yeah. Now. It was originally on NBC. It was actually a straight NBC. up NBC. Okay, it was a straight up network show. Yeah, Sorkin's really. Uh, gutter dive in there but whatever i'm like i'm gonna put episode one of the west wing on i'm gonna watch this i've never seen anything it started playing and it was four three and standard def right and i was like nope Burp. turned it off it yeah. looks so fucking shitty and it was four three it's just like i couldn't watch it yeah couldn't watch it i can't watch it's one thing if you shot on film and you get a nice awesome transfer fine crop your damn shit to 4.3 that's fine as long as it looks awesome but if it's standard def and 4.3 I cannot look at it yeah well I, I refuse to watch it they have both the Star Trek the original series from the 60s and Star Trek the Next Generation in HD now I didn't watch my buddies die face down on the muck so that I could watch 4.3 standard def fucking video and film when in the 60s we had glorious 35 and even 70 millimeter films. Oh, very true. What does the world come to? Am I the only one around here who gives a shit about the rules, Brad? I'm sorry, I You're cut you off wrong. again. <laughs> Am I wrong? You're not wrong. Ugh. Okay, they have what in HD and SD? Well, well, no, no. In HD, they have Star Trek, the original series, as well as Star Trek The Next Generation are, are available in HD now. I mean, they have been for some time. But watching that in HD is mind-blowing. It's one? kind of the reverse. TOS or TNG? Both of them. Both. Well, probably especially TOS, because again... That's like, oh, is this thing from the 60s? You know, I've seen all those episodes like 20 times. But now to see them like with this detail, like it's really weird. It's a really cool effect because like it is this very um, incredibly sharp, crisp, detailed picture. Yet of these really kind of like 
cheesy 1960s colorful things and weird like just kind of bland props and things like that but like it creates a really weird effect probably very different than the filmmakers originally so, intended but kind of like the I hobbit love it. basically I love it like battle of five armies or desolation of small pretty like much that. like that <laughs> not like that i mean too I, much I, crazy I detail of shitty <laughs> makeup and effects. i know what you're talking about except it's shot on film so it actually looks really cool <laughs> like it's a really cool effect in this case um, but even Star Trek Next Generation, I watched, I, I haven't seen too much of that in HD. I've just sampled a couple episodes to see what it was like. And it's just like, what the, f-? like, it's just like, I've never, and where are you again, finding for this? something I'm so familiar with to see it in that clarity. Where are you finding this? Um, so Star Trek, uh, the original series is available on Netflix in HD. What about all TNG? Episodes, all 79 episodes. TNG. So TNG um, had twice as many episodes as the original yes. series. Wow. Yes, the original series only went for three years. TNG went for seven. Um, oh. the, the TNG HD, so this was actually probably maybe a year ago or more last I checked. Season one and two are available on Hulu in HD, but they might have more now because they're slowly releasing them on Blu-ray season by season. And it seems like they come out on Blu-ray, then maybe like a year after that, they're available on Hulu and HD. Maybe they're also now on Netflix. I don't know. But even if you just YouTube Next Generation HD, people have comparison videos where they show it in SD, then do like the wipe. There it is in HD. And it's just like, but But those filmmakers at least were cognizant of protecting for 16.9 well, both didn't... of these in hd are not in 16.9 they both stayed 4.3 okay okay so it's in hd but it's four okay. but still 4.3 right. they didn't well, they didn't play yeah. that that game gotcha because again it just might not even be possible well no because they didn't they figured like it'll never be we're shooting television we're not yeah. making a feature film so why bother let's you know let's make the most of the medium but man god damn it it would have been nice if they would have like thought 20 years ahead and yep. you know and just but it's the same thing like in the future they're like oh these flat films like i want holographic i know version like, all we want I, is I, like I put on my oculus rift and it's just like a flat thing at the end of the wall like <sighs> i can't like go into it why but, the fuck would i even bother watching this but they had the opportunity to they could have done it both of them get it out of there we have all this area. We're exposing it. It's like wasting. But again, they're almost, I, I mean, I almost want to do that just to prevent. Because if I'm composing this for a certain aspect ratio. No, I understand. I'm saying go back in time and be the people on the set of TNG, for instance, and say like, you know what? We are shooting a widescreen format. So let's, you have markers on your monitor. Here's the 4.3 area, and then, you know, the full monitor or viewfinder is the 16 by 9 area, and find a way to compose the shot that works for 4.3 and 16 by 9, if that's fucking possible. You know, or at least don't have C-stands and lights and extras milling about in the background, at the very least, you know? I don't know. It would just be... I know it makes it a totally different experience... You know, when you've got the 
the eyes on the right side of the screen looking over to the left. And then if you do it in 16 by nine, it's like, they're not on the right side of the screen. They're like dead in the middle. And it's like, what is this I'm looking at? I get it. But it seems like with a little, a little uh, planning and thinking, it could have balanced both of them, but I don't know, but you don't want to balance them. Right? I know you just dive in and swim, right? Damn it. All right. Fuck. Well, we played the minute at 49 yeah, I know. seconds. I love that we, <laughs> we, we played the minute right up front. Hey, at we're least about we didn't to talk forget. about the part here on statement and Jeff Dowd and Metallica speed of sound and the Seattle seven. And then we decided to talk about <laughs> Star Trek and Star Wars for about 30 minutes. <sighs> Sounds good. Our record, it goes untarnished. I was a little worried for a moment. Even watching the original series, like, you know, 19, what, 88 or something. It's like, Ohura? I had never seen a skirt 1966. that... No, oh, you mean I'm when you about, watched Yes, it. like watching repeats, you know. I had never seen a skirt that short. No, I would agree. Even that on, like, show... regular television of the yeah. day. Yeah. Star Trek... I mean, I think in the 60s, strangely, they were a little more. It, it was, yeah, they, they were a little, little more liberated. A little freeballing. A little more freeballing back yeah. then. They were playing with the boundaries a little more then. I think in the 80s, we got, there was this kind of conservative uptick a little bit. Oh, Granted, totally. by the time you get to the early 90s, you get Baywatch, it kind of swings the other way. Swings, a bit, swings yeah, sort of. But, you know, I would say that the original series is kind of the Baywatch of its day. Yeah, well, it had everything, and like it wasn't. Just, yeah, and they, they were definitely pushing racial boundaries, sexual boundaries, yeah, uh, socioeconomic bound. Like they were just on the yeah. the bleeding edge. Definitely. That's yeah, where they, you are, right? Bleeding edge. The, the 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 I'm on the the bloating edge, the severed it's edge, beyond the bleeding edge. You're on the molecular edge, where you know it's such a fine edge that it doesn't actually touch any matter. It just goes between the electrons. Yeah. What's well, a single molecule? <laughs> right. It's that fine. That's that, that sharp. fucking fine. It's a fine fucking edge. <laughs> <laughs> An autobiography by Brad. So, all right. Well, I cut you off on. You had another one last, I think, Star Trek not, thing. But no, I mean, I was just. Well, I was just going to say how they worked, not just in like visually they had short skirts, but they worked like sexual content into the show regularly right kirk in was different a, ways. a horn dog yeah you know i i really dug the way he did business in bed with everybody playing one side off the other i'd like to team up with him sometimes yep. like a brother seamus he had like the andromedans in one hand and then the medusans on the other it was see that's see you know those words yes I don't know those words. I just know like vague Kirk characteristics. Yes. From the episode by any other name was where the and people from the galaxy Andromeda, they're from a whole other galaxy. <laughs> You're like the guy. They hijacked the Enterprise. <laughs> You're like the Mac to get guy back. from Galaxy Quest. <laughs> I'm totally Listen, that guy. Commander, I, love it. I, love it. I know that it's just a show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a loser. 
Supposedly, I the news. Have you heard the Galaxy Quest news this last week? You shut up. What is it? They are making a Galaxy Quest TV series. <laughs> which I don't know if it's like... I, I That's all I know. I haven't read more. Like, if like is it just going to be more like the concept of Galaxy Quest? Or would they actually make... Like the at 1980s style episodes, that would be cool, but it's probably not. It's that. probably the concept of Galaxy Quest. Yeah. Just that would be awesome, though. Show, that would yeah. be awesome if it was like Captain James, Te- like yeah, the original mm-hmm. with his mullet. And oh, everything. that would be so great. But uh, I think there might be a market for that. There, well, a small market. It's it's everything's niche these days, my friend. It's true. Very true. Uh, we had some. I mean, as long as we're shitting all over the rules, this is more like nom than bowling. Uh, we had a shout out on Twitter from some fellas who were recording a Lebowski centric podcast in a bowling alley in Angoland. Do you know this place? Angoland or something? Angoland. Angoland? I think it might be like in the South Pacific. Okay. Okay, you know, okay. You don't know this? It sounds familiar. All right. Well, I don't know. Just a shout. I tuned in. I listened. I listened to a little bit of it. Did you not? You didn't do it, did you? I didn't. I saw the tweet come through. I think I was... I was doing a certain thing at that time that prevented me. I see. Well, it was, you can, you know, it's dad flicks. We'll give dad flicks a shout out. Yeah. Dad flicks. Um, but yeah, they were, they were in a bowling alley in North London and they had a whole episode based on, uh, Lebowski, which I listened to. Very cool. Highly entertaining. And they sounded way smarter than us. Oh yeah. They had fucking British accents. I don't know where you get this British accent, but I want one. Don't you sound way smarter? Don't you think? I think you do. So if you're in England, do you think an American accent I was, makes you sound really dumb? Like, does I don't it work know. the other way? Like, does it work that way? I don't know. It might. I don't know. But my friend Joss Whedon, you might know him from such films as The Avengers. Yes. He moved to Ireland. And he got a little part-time gig doing film reviews on the radio. Mm. And the only reason he got the job is because he had an American American. accent and he sounded smart. Oh, shit. Look at this guy. He knows what he's talking about. He's American. Well, was it that the American accent sounds smart or was it that, oh, look, this guy with American accent can actually talk smart. What a novelty. I don't think like it was a, like, like a chimpanzee that smokes a cigarette, you know, it wasn't like that. It was like Sam Elliott strolling in and it's like, you know, you may not give two shits about a cowboy, but like he comes down and sits next to the bar at you and you're like, fuck, this is a cowboy right here. It's, it was, uh, yeah, people like would stop and listen, stopped them in their tracks. And not chimpanzee with a cigarette stopping in the tracks. It's like, well, I mean, that's where Hollywood is. America. It's true. So, yeah. It's the only reason he got that gig. Not the only reason. He's not totally stupid, you know. He did do Buffy, but 
not going to hold that against him for the rest of his life. Yeah. Avengers 2 came out today in England. Why did they get, it, they get it a week early? What the fuck is that all about? This is like, well, this is like the reverse because for all our life, you know, it comes out in America first and other countries are like, what the fuck? Here it is, right? For a while there, they came out in all the countries at the same time because of piracy and whatnot. Yet somehow here, it's like, I don't know, like we were ahead we and we were evened out we and now they're just ahead. Now they're ahead. So I have a revisit. Oh, yes. Please revisit. Did you see this? I don't know if you saw this. I put it in the little nugget right there. But I don't know if you saw it. I don't know if I saw it. Let me So check. Jeff Bridges was working on, I want to say his first movie. Are you, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? Did we not talk about this? Did we not? <laughs> wasn't, it after, wasn't it after hours? I don't know. I thought we talked. I don't know. Fuck. <laughs> oh, let's just oh talk about God. it again. No, I refuse now. I don't know. We I might can't have talked. I'm pretty sure we talked about it on air, but I guess. Fuck, I can never know. I never know I because guess I we don't stop know. and we just keep going. So since we don't listen to this, if there is a Fuck listener it. out there, let us know. No. Did we talk about Jeff Bridges and how he met his wife and his wife and how their their whole relationship and how they're like a Hollywood couple? respected couple let let us know if we talked about that or not when well, we where they met we'll have and to cover it how they met and yeah where they met and some of the ironic things about where they met no right. i'm pretty sure we talked about this. okay okay fuck it move on this minute starts off now now if we just let's can we talk about this minute we're let's 41 about the minute. minutes let's in now it. okay we start off now mod says love me that's my robe boom cut and it's it's eerie how many times you know doing a minute by minute podcast that like the minute starts on a like a scene mm-hmm. change right blammo <sighs> probably i i want to say like 50% of our episodes are are pretty like weirdly right on a like a distinct scene change whether it's audio visual it could be a cut it could be just like a um a mood change or something but a lot of the times too many to be a coincidence are right on the minute marker could i wonder be. if that's like this tick tock tick tock chung, chung, chung. because the plot doesn't make any sense the characters are all over the map but it's just like life just goes tick tock death stalks you tick tock tick and it's got this cadence maybe they're just doing it minute by minute and not always you know because consistency is the bugaboo of a small mind did i get it right no, i didn't get it right what is it the hobgoblin hobgoblin of a small mind of right? a little mind little mind okay i was close though and i don't know i don't know if there was something to that it's almost like you know, laying down a drum track to a metronome. I think, well, again, we, we, we discussed this in the past when we started noticing this. And I remember I did some preliminary statistical analysis that showed that we weren't that far off. Far off. It wasn't statistically significant, the amount of times the minute ended on a scene change. 
Although, speaking now about this, I cannot fathom how I came to that conclusion. I can't either. But you are adept at non-Euclidean geometry, so... Who am I to argue? But here we are again, and it's like, that's my robe. Bam! And the visual cuts to black. And the music changes. Now, you gotta have some cojones on you to spend more than six seconds on a black screen in a feature film and they do this this minute starts at 88 colon zero zero and until 88 colon zero six plus a bit it is black and you hear the music kind of fire up and Maud says tell me about yourself Jeffrey because you can tell, and this is the other thing, it's like you could just listen to and look at Maud this entire minute. And because I found it difficult to stop the minute right at 89 colon zero zero, you could just keep watching because <laughs> the thing about Maud is like she's a feminist, you know? Mm-hmm. And she is here in... The dude's abode, which is a filth-ridden scum hole, a wretched hive of scum and villainy, Mm -hmm. even when it's in its normal state, but it's been, like, pillaged now. There's a bowling ball smashed through the television. Everything's all over the floor. His, probably his little uh, bowling ball, his bowling pin bong is probably smashed over in the corner. You know, his his books that were on his coffee table and his Chinese takeout containers are strewn all over it. Now it's a even more of a hellhole than it was before. I wouldn't have been comfortable in his house when it was quote unquote clean, and now it's a disaster. And Maud's in there; she can't be liking this. Like she's one of the high society people with her accent and her paintings. And her biennales. And now she's like hanging out in this bungalow, this trashed out bungalow. Why? Because she wants to get pregnant and she needs the dude to do it. Because he's the man for his time and place. I won't say a hero. Uh, No, he's not a hero because what's a hero? He's just, he just fits right in there, Brad. Does he? Am I wrong? Oh, you're not wrong. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. <laughs> you won't finish it. You're not even an asshole. Though. All right. It see? doesn't even fit this situation. It doesn't, but you can still say it. But look, here he is. And now Maud doesn't like this because she, but far be it from her to like go to a sperm bank. She's not going to be so sterile because she like sucks the marrow out of life a la Robin Williams and Dead Poet Society she like sucks the marrow she needs to be in there in the in the weeds in the trenches she splatters paint all over canvas while she's flying down a rigged up crazy ass roller coaster she uh I don't know she needs to respect the biology of it all because sex you know can be a zesty natural enterprise she yeah, said it herself that feminists hate sex yeah she said it herself 
So when you watch this scene with that in mind, you can see her trying to like engage with the dude a little bit and say, okay, this guy's a pathetic loser. Cause I always thought like, okay, Maud's here. She came to have sex with him and granted she doesn't want him to have anything to do with her kid and have anything to do with the upraising and no social ties. But, like, she came there. Oh, she kind of likes him. If you watch her, she has nothing but disgust for the dude. He's there for one reason, and they will never see each other again. You can tell because when he says, like, uh, everything he's trying to, like, the best accomplishments of his life. I was one of the original authors of the, you know, Port Huron Statement. Yes. The not, original Port Huron statement. The original, not the compromise. Second draft, right? Of course. She's like, uh, uh, Seattle 7, heard of them? Mm. That was me. That was me. And, and six other guys. Six other guys. No reaction to that at all. Music business briefly. It yes. piques her interest yes. briefly. Oh? oh, oh my goodness. Maybe there is some redeeming quality about this sack of rotten potatoes that I just had sex with. Rody for Metallica. Well, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think she's in a complete sack of rotten potatoes place here. The dude is the sack of rotten potatoes. She did decide to be intimate with him. And Only they're laying for in his... bed together. And I think she is, like you said, like she might not be like, yeah, this really isn't my scene. But she is in some way, like you said, like maybe soaking it in. Like he's just he's, trying to help her conceive, man. Yeah, she wants nothing more out of. Uh, that's what I used to think. Like, yeah, you know, begrudgingly, she kind of likes him, and you know, it's not her scene. But yeah, she no, no, I don't, I, I don't think, think she so likes at all. him. Like she wants to see him again. No, but, but while she's in this moment, like we said, a zesty enterprise, right? And she is into that and she's doing that and even now in this after time she's kind of like enjoying enjoying might be too strong a word enjoying is way is, too strong a word but she is giving herself over to the experience the I, full experience not just she's not just getting a sperm donation she is having the full experience here and that includes the kind of laying on the pillows together afterwards talking about life See, we're in, we're in complete agreement. I completely agree with you. She is giving herself over to the experience. But the dude himself, that person, is only such a small part of that. Like, she could give as much of a shit about the dude as, like, the kind of blankets and sheets he has on his bed. No, that's, that's correct. You know? So it's like, it's nothing to do with him necessarily. It's just like, like you said it. She threw herself into this experience to try to conceive. And yeah, she's going to soak it in while she's there. But it's got very little to do with the dude. Like just the disinterest she shows with anything that he's trying to. And these are his life's accomplishments here. Like, the biggest shit he's ever done. Like, he's he's kind of laying it on a little bit. Like, he would like to probably have intercourse with Maud again. You know, bowling mm-hmm. permitting. Mm-hmm. 
she's got no interest. Unless she's not pregnant. If she gets pregnant, she's out. Done. I, I don't know. I think we're agreeing. I agree. I agree that we are agreeing. Okay, well... Okay, I agree. I agree. Squared. I agree too that we are agree that you're agreeing that we're agreeing. So that's like I agreeing won't agree to that. Squared sub one minus one. I think you're the non Euclidean geometrist here. We're just going to have to agree to disagree. <laughs> I will never agree to that. <laughs> <laughs> so. Do you think this bare light bulb on his nightstand, it's when the picture first flicks on at 8807, he's got a lamp on his nightstand, but the there's no lampshade. Do you think, because we haven't seen his bedroom before, do you think that's like something the treehorn thugs did? Knocked it over, the lampshade came off, maybe they either knocked it off and it miraculously stayed upright, or maybe they put it back up there? Because they didn't break the Kahlua. So maybe they knocked it over and put it back up. Or maybe he put it back up. Oh, maybe he put it back up. But the shade is, was, was missing. That's I probably I think right. they did that because the dude, he's very into this chill. You know, he gets the candles out around the bathtub and the whale song. Like, um, he's not in there with some harsh light. Well, he is because he's got a bare light bulb. Well, he is now. But I'm saying that's not his lifestyle. No, it's not. I agree with you on that. So I think that's a treehorn thug. They knocked it issue. over. The shade came off, and then he's like, "Damn it!" They probably stomped on it. So like maybe it, it was like on the bed or something. Like the lamp was on the bed, so he had to move it. Well, and they probably it. stomped on the shade, so he couldn't right. put the shade back. I was all, yeah, too fucked up. Or again, the lamp might be on the bed or something. He needs to clear it off. He just kind of puts it back. But he's not going to start screwing around with a shade or something. Well, not know? when Maud is naked and ready to have the inter. I mean, coitus. Yeah, exactly. And did you notice how the window, well, it's open so that he can smoke his marijuana cigarette and the, you know, the fumes can go out, but it's like strangely opaque. The, 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 the window. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Right at 8807. It's right when the visual is kind of like white. Yeah. It's like translucent. Wonder why. That seems a little weird. Because, like, we can see out there, there's bushes, which are, you know, insanely bright, let's face mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it's like I they know. have I a mean, 2K just blasting down on them. They're so reflective. So why is that damn window so opaque? Like, we can, already, we can see through it enough, like, if there was a film crew or a big light or a C-stand or something out there. We would see it. Out there, but what about the reflection? Maybe it's guarding against reflections. Well, just open it all the way, then. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. They didn't want it open all the way. But that's a choice that they made. That's my only point. They made that choice for some reason. Well, maybe whatever they used to model this off of, or that just had a a frosted window there. hmm. For whatever reason. The dude's got strike anywhere matches, though. That's pretty handy. Yeah. So after well, he's, the, he's the kind of guy that needs to strike anywhere, you know? <laughs> he can't be beholden to some little strip of sandpaper. He's got to have, like, the heel of his shoe or some, you know, rough-hewn denim. You know, some chaps he can rub it across. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe the outside of his bowling ball bag. Who knows what? What's you never he, know what. What's he holding his tiny roach-like marijuana cigarette with? Um, is that what I think it is? It's his most excellent possession. It is indeed. It's Isn't his, it? It's his hair clip. It's his hair clip. And that it's way, his hair clip. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have to, like, put tension on it to keep it there or use some sort of paper clip. Like, it's, and it's long, so he's far away from the flame. His fingers are far away from the flame. Yeah, that's smart. nice. And he's got it with him always, you know? Mm-hmm. It's in his head, like, bound to his hair things. It's a hair clip for its time and place. <laughs> I just... That, oh, boy. Oh, so pillows, Brad. Pil- I'm trying to fire through these things that Those I Those aren't pillows. pillows? <laughs> About that Bears game. Heck of a game. You're supposed to put your pillow, like, underneath your back. Um, says who? Says, uh... The backologist? Pillow specialists. Like, that's how the pillows began? Well, that's what the pillow is intended for, because you don't want it just underneath your head, because it forces your head up at an acute angle. Okay. A sharp angle, which leads to snoring and reduced intake of air. Okay. But if you... Move the pillow down now, just, just, you know, get to the, uh, whatever that's called there where your neck meets your back and just behind that now, and then it evens out your spine and in so doing your throat and air passages. So it should kind of be like behind your, your shoulders, your shoulder blades, so to speak. Yeah. Behind your shoulder blades and coming up, like it should extend from just behind your shoulder blades and your head so I that we'll give that a try yeah i've i've been trying to give it a try it's hard because you, like i sleep on my side a lot yeah so i then roll over and then once i do that i fall asleep and once i roll back onto my back it's all done but right. i'm i've been trying to sleep on my back because that's the consensus best like way to sleep is on your back okay and I wonder if you, well, if you roll over to your side, then don't you need a pillow to kind of prop up your head? You do. Like you need it in that traditional head position. Right. And then that's when it goes right on your ear and like tucks in under your shoulder. But if you're sleeping on your back, it should tuck in just behind your shoulder blades a little bit. I'm, I'm very uh, excited to give this a try and see what that feels like. Yeah, it doesn't feel good. I'm going to warn you right right off the bat. But like, So then, if it doesn't feel good, why do it? That's my motto. Because it's not familiar and comfortable, but that doesn't mean it's not better. You just have to get used to it. You can breathe better, and it's better for your posture. Well, I think that would then, in, in, in effect, feel better if not- those things were true. You'll sleep better. It doesn't feel better because you're asleep. Like you, you're not feeling anything necessarily. All right. All right. But it's uncomfortable. Well, until you get to sleep. Now I've been trying it and I used to wake up at like 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. and sit there for two or three hours, just like staring around awake. 
And I'll say the last four or five nights, I have not woken up at those times. I've slept for six to seven hours straight through. So, I don't know. Give it a try. It might be terrible. But, yeah, just underneath your shoulders so you don't have that sharp angle with your head coming up. And, like, think about a garden hose, you know, and you can, like, bend it until it kinks. And, you know, at that Mm -hmm. angle and it cuts off all the water. I think it's that kind of thing. My point is, here's my point, dude. If you look at Maud and the dude, look at the pill. Now I'm stopped right at 8819. Okay. That happens to be exactly where I am. Look at where the dude's shoulders are and look at the pillow. His pillow is between his shoulders and his nipples. The edge of the pillow. If you run a horizontal line, yeah, bottom left of the screen. Yeah, yeah. See? Now, I don't know about Maud because, you know, the dude put his arm around her. So that's not going to help her breathe. But they're not sleeping now. But, like, that's where the pillow is. So are you saying where it is on the dude is where it should be? I believe so. So it's still kind of on his head. It's just kind of lower. So it's still doing the head thing well, to some degree. Well, to some degree, but, like, I, I would usually put it, like, right behind my head. No, you you're know? right. I would do the same thing. And maybe, ideally, it would be a little farther. Maybe No, not much. No, that's about right. What he's doing is about okay. right. So I was envisioning, like, the whole pillow. Like, the pillow no, starts. No, no. And then your head your goes shoulders. back down. Around. No, no. You're, you still want your head elevated a little bit. But, like, okay. the pillow is... Just underneath right. your shoulder well, blades. I'm pay you know? closer attention where my pillow is. It's not there. a lot. You don't have to go crazy with it. But like, I know when I would use a pillow, I would have it behind my head. There was no pillow behind my shoulders. But it should be because, yeah, it just shoves it up at a like an uncomfortable angle. Like it feels good just because we've been doing it for, you know, almost 40 years. Some of us closer to 40 than others. But that's not the right way. But it's tough to come around, I will tell you. And Maude does say, mm-hmm, after he says, Rody for Metallica. Yes. The dude's, here, I'll Her say this. Her interest waned. It waned intensely. I, I know you want to talk about Port Huron statement. We got to finish this up, but. I feel like the Port Huron statement and the Seattle 7 is the dude's version of Glory Days, like his Glory Days, like a Springsteen song. Oh, where sure. Where it's like, oh, fuck yeah, I used to do all this shit, and now mm-hmm. I don't. But it was like, important. But think about this. Like, the dude used to be an activist, like actively fighting against the man. Back in the 60s, right? Right. When, when He wasn't quite so lazy. When Well, back when it meant something, like there was a movement. So my point is, my fucking point is, the dude being the man for his time and place is, he's changed because the world's changed. Like, in the 60s, everybody was rallying behind the common purpose and there was a feeling of momentum, like fear and loathing, you know? And you could see the where the wave crashed up and the the high water mark before it went out to sea. But like 1990, 91, this conflict, it's like starting to get 
into the point of meaninglessness. You know, it's not World War II. There's not a clear-cut enemy. It's just this vague threat. And, like, he's kind of embraced that... Not embraced it, but, like, there's no enemy to fight anymore. There's no cause to get behind. Because it's all become so muddled. Right. But I know you have a lot to say about the Port Huron statement. I'm I'm ready to he- take it in. Oh no, I just I thought I thought you had a lot to say. I was looking forward to hearing what you had to no, say. No, that about was about it. that's about it. It's just like it it was remarkable to me that we know the dude as this stoner slacker who doesn't want to quite possibly the laziest man in Los Angeles County, placing him high on a running for laziest worldwide. But back in the day. He was like out there, like oh, yeah. fists in the air, like doing shit. Mm-hmm. Like he really was like no bullshit. He was doing it. Right. He but was, over the years, like well, Vietnam came and it's like, well, this is terrible and there's nothing. And then he probably had a couple of rallies and then we saw the terribleness on television. And then this shit comes around and he's kind of like drinking white Russians drunk in the grocery store and looking like this aggression will not stand. He's like, what the fuck is this? This is nothing. You know, what, what is this? There's not even anything to rally again. It's like, don't do it. Don't have war. But like, there's nothing, there's no like rallying cry. There's no, there's no spark. Something about the fact that he worked on the original part here on state, but not the compromise second draft. Is that when he started to get lazy? Well, that it might. Imp- so there's a couple things, right? Where where he's so idealistic, it, he kind of removed himself, right, from being able to actually do anything. And maybe that is also a way to indulge his laziness at the same time. Be like, yeah, you, oh, you know, you, you know. So the pure part Huron statement was written. By uh, Students for a Democratic Society. That's SDS. The name of the, the right. group. And he's just be like, oh, yeah, you guys, here's sellouts. Fuck it. I'm, I'm leaving, right? That's that his could, answer to everything, isn't it? Fuck it. Fuck it. Exactly. Even so, not only to, you know, the man, but also to the, his, his, his radicals, his peers. Interestingly, okay. the Port Huron statement was written in 1962. And the Seattle 7 happened in, well, I was going to say 1970, but I guess it was actually, it, that happened in 1968. It's kind of, Wikipedia is a little confusing. Yeah, but it's always right. And um, so there's, there's the Seattle, a, oh, no, no, that's the Chicago 7. The Seattle 7 was, was later. What? I got the Chicago 7 and the Seattle 7. How much 7. later was it? When was Seattle 7? I think I have a link here. Yeah, I see. Uh, the Seattle 7. Well, well, I don't know exactly when that happened because it's Wikipedia doesn't go into it in great detail. It doesn't have its own entry. But it says the Seattle Liber- Liberation Front was a radical anti-Vietnam War movement based in Seattle, Washington. But didn't start until 1970. Yeah, carried out its protest activities from 1970 to 1971. So and the if, most famous members of this Seattle Liberation Front. Well, here, wait, Seattle wait, don't even 7. say, don't say it, don't say it yet, don't say it yet. I want to point right. out before you do this because this that's like I'll let you drop the bomb, but I just want to point out that 
if the dude was one of the authors of the Port Huron statement, original one, not the compromised second draft, in 1962, and also a member of the Seattle Seven, which isn't the Seven Hills around Seattle, but in fact the uh, radical anti-Vietnam War movement, the Seattle Seven, that Seattle Seven, didn't start until 1970. So the dude had at least an eight-year period where he was, for all we know, fairly active. Sure. Good point. But also, it's kind of weird the way those two things line up because, eh, I guess not. I mean, he could have been going 19, let's say he was 20 years old, even 19. So, yeah, it's not too bad. He'd be like 28, 27 when he was doing the Seattle 7. So you're saying he he would have been 20 in 1962? He could have been like 17 at the youngest, right? He could have been that. That's a stretch, but I could say he could have been that that We'll say he was born in 44 then, the dude. He was 18, Port Huron Statement, 44 to 1970 that's 26 you know he might still be holding on to some ideals at 26 that's true very so 44 to 1991 wow well that means he would be 47 in this movie does he seem like he's 47 the dude in this movie Seems seems a little younger than that doesn't he it's hard to keep all that shit straight. It it's really is. get to a certain point, it's hard to tell. Right. He could be 35 and he could be 52. Yes. Especially right. the way Hollywood does it, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, of course. So so Jeff Bridges Everybody's was born 32 in 1949. Wow. So, so younger than when the this dude, movie probably. was made, that was uh he was uh how old was he? He was 50? Is that right? No, he was 41. 40 when they shot it. No, that was be 1989. Wait, when was he born? Did you say 1949? 40? So basically 1950. Oh, I, I was doing the period piece. He was 47. Yeah. 47 or 48. So same age as the dude then. Yeah, which is roughly the same as uh jeffrey dowd so they drop that bomb who is who we've talked about before but he is the basis or one of the bases for um the character jeffrey the dude lebowski i would say the guy jeff dowd the main influence for him though because he helped finance blood simple uh, a big influence on the coen brothers careers right yeah, so he worked in indie film, but he was also a political advocate, adva- uh, activist. Was he for whom? That for was a whom? Me- he was a member of the Seattle Seven. <gasps> the hell you say? <laughs> and they even have. So we talked about this. We like way we back, did. like we episode did way seven. Back there, I don't know why. Because this, at the same time, coincidentally, we were talking about this, this documentary came out, this little 18 minute long documentary. Right. That was, um, in essence, about Jeff Dowd. And it showed about about how he is the basis of the dude. And it showed a lot of, you know, it showed these pictures of him as a younger premier, in essence, wearing the like same sweater, that iconic dude sweater with the weird 
pattern on it. And, you know, I think it's an unfair comparison between the dude and Jeff Dowd because, you know, the temptation is to say, Jeff Dowd, what a loser. What a stoner, slacker, robe-wearing loser. But without him, the Coen brothers don't do shit. We don't have this movie without him. He's a player in the industry. Like, he gets shit done. You know, in contrast to the dude who was an activist early on and then kind of flamed out and just lazes around like I know I was tempted to say Jeff Dowd, like, you know, if you actually knew this guy in real life and I feel bad for saying this, but I I think I said like, ooh, it'd be kind of scummy or sleazy or something. And I don't think that's true. But if you knew the dude in real life. He would be scummy and sleazy. It's not somebody you would hang out with. It would be uncomfortable. Your wife, Christine is her name, would be like, um, you're having him over again? <laughs> like, you wouldn't bring him into your home and hang out with him. Right. Be like, who the fuck is this? You can't bring this person into into our home, Brad. Have you gone off the deep end again? This is worse than 97. I don't know. (laughs) I guess that that was on top of mind because I went back to, you know this, I went back to a Penn State area. Oh, yeah. Tended tended bar there for five years. We saw each other. Yes. But I went to my old place of employment and hung out for a while. And, you know... What did that do? How did that how did that suit you? Um, well, I, when you're like 21 to 23 and you've worked at a place for 5 years, that seems like 20 years. And yeah, all you can true. see is the future stretching out in front of you thinking I'm going to be 47, 43 to 47 years old still working at this place. Uh, you know, and when it's a place that it's not the, and I don't know what's better or worse. I was going to say, it's not the fancy, like college bar where all the hot young things come. It was like the local dive bar where you see everybody killing themselves. Imagining yourself at 43 to 47 years old, still working there is a pretty depressing thought. So it it struck me two ways. Like, number one, I spent five years there, but number two, I'm not there anymore. Right. And that's good. And none of the, you know, 43 to 47-year-olds that used to be there are there anymore, probably because they're dead now. So it was weird. It was weird. Well, it's weird because... So you go there, right? And there's no one there that you know. Only the one... The manager. I, he's been there 13 effing years. 13 So he, like, recognized years. you? You, like... Oh, yeah. No, I know him. Sure. Immediately. Okay. Yep. Because I was going to say, it's weird in some way if you go there. Like, no one there even know. Like, you can just kind of quietly go there, sit, have a drink, play some pool... I did and just that. in your own mind, you're just like, you know, I'm the fucking king of this place. I, I, I did built that this place one day. Well, I literally did. I literally built the upstairs bar and much of the downstairs 
part. Like I would go to the bar during the day from uh, like from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. with the construction guy that they had on staff, and I because I work construction, and I would help him, and we built that bar. Like hammered the two by fours into the floor and installed the bar top. We did all that. Mm-hmm. So yes, I built that bar literally, literally, literally. And now you can just go there, the unsung hero, the, the unknown. unsung. It's like you people don't have any idea what I did. <laughs> all, all this is yours because of me. Yeah, it's it's weird though because. Man, that seems like a waste of time now. Um, We can definitely confirm, Brad, that it was nighttime when the dude was in the chief of police of Malibu's office. Do you mean confirm narratively that that's what it was? Yes, narratively. It's nighttime when he's at Treehorn's. He's running out on the street. It's nighttime. He gets whisked away to the police station. Thrown against the desk. It's nighttime. Taxi cab back. Has to walk the rest of the way. Arrives back home. Still nighttime. Lights up his strike anywhere match. Still nighttime. There we are. That's a long fucking night. Yeah. Well, it goes on. It goes on and on. Yeah, because it started before that, too, though. Also, because he gets he gets picked up by the thugs. Right. He gets, so the one th- place where it's unclear is when he's on the phone nailing the two by four in before the thugs show up. Was that the same night? As when they braced the kid. Right. There you could say, like, maybe... That could be the next day. Right. And Walter's calling the check on. But pretty much the rest, aside from what I might call the epilogue, is it all still the same night? It's uh, hard like to we're tell. we're getting way ahead of ourselves. But as we go through, we have to notice, when does it become the next day? Because he's with Maude... Then he decides, he calls Walter and is like, Walter. I mean, Donnie's ashes or the mortuary, one or the other. I mean, yeah, that's definitely the next time. But I mean, well, so if it's really true, he talks to Maude. He calls Walter. You got to pick me up. He goes outside, confronts Delfino. Walter picks him up. We see the uh, nihilists having their pancakes. The dude drives by with Walter. They go to the big Lebowski's house. They then have their whole interaction with him. Then they leave and go bowling, see the Jesus again, go outside, and then the nihilists are there. And then they have a fight with the nihilists. I think it goes farther back than that, Brad. That's all the same day. I think it's farther back. Theoretically, it could be the same day when they brace the kid. No, it could be the same day when they see Marty's cycle, you know, his dance quartet. That's definitely the same day. Well, right. That's Marty before cycle. they brace the kid. Yeah. Yeah. This Marty's is, cycle this is definitely is, the same day as when they brace the kid. All right. I'm just saying it's the same day as they brace the kid. They brace the kid the same day. The dude gets like whisked away. And I mean, that is debatable. It's well, unknowable because of the hammering of the two by four with the well, collar we can nails. Go 
by um, his well, clothes, maybe. He's Walt, wearing the... Per- it's the same clothes. Same clothes. And Walter does say it's Erev Shabbos. So, like when he calls him to pick him up. So, that's Friday. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself again. But Erev Shabbos is Friday. Shomer Shabbos is Saturday. Erev Shabbos is sundown. Once it's sundown on Friday. So I wonder if there's some reverse engineering we could do of timelines. We don't have to worry about this for this episode, but it's something right. to consider. Yeah, I, I, well, I I'm going to try to get to the bottom of this because I think like the last 30, 40, 50 minutes of this movie is one night until, until they release Donnie's ashes or go to the mortuary, I guess. Right. Donnie has his heart attack. And that's the end of the night. Like right. so, and then there's go, probably a couple of days before they can get him cremated and whatever. Because they go, yeah, yeah. I think so. It's, they have their cycle, and that's a, he, they go to see his cycle. That's in about minute, um, like 67. 69, 67. No, 67. yeah, sixty-seven. Yeah, yeah. So sixty-seven until minute. God, what ninety <sighs> something? No, more than that. More than that. Shit. Yeah, there's a lot of minutes here. They it's, could it's all be the all, same night. It's almost know, a real-time night. It's almost like you, you, don't, you could, when you cut to Donnie and he doesn't get the strike, that's at minute, yeah, I guess 99. So that's mm-hmm. 30 minutes of movie time. Because once you cut back to the bowling alley and Donnie's throwing... It, who knows how much time has passed? Except if you go by the clothes, it's still the same clothes. Oh, but you're right. Who knows clothes. what time it is? Because they they don't say like, "Oh, let's go bowling at the end" or anything like that. And there is that kind of fade. I don't think the dude's wearing the same clothes when Donnie doesn't get the strike. It looks like different clothes. It's different clothes. So there's another. But it's still, it's that's not different clothes. What the, the fuck? dude is wearing the what the, the fuck hoodie? are you talking about? The dude is wearing the hoodie that's ripped. Walter is wearing... No, it's different, man. He's wearing like a khaki. Oh, you're right. Walter is wearing different clothes. I was more focused on the dude. Okay, different clothes. Okay, different day. So really, it only goes up to where they... When they um, cut to the bowling alley and Donnie doesn't get the strike. Yeah, so that's the when it's a different time. And also at that point, like... The way they do that long fade, it kind of makes right. you feel like, okay, we're fading into... We're spanning time. In some ways, that's really the beginning of the epilogue. Because <laughs> they've solved the mystery. Time. Yeah, it's done. So that was that's in um, 80... No, 99, 99 and a half. 99 and a half. So 67 to 99 and a half. Come on, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. 22 and a half minutes. No. 32 and a no, half. No, 32 and a half. 32 and a half minutes is all one night. One night. That's one a long... One crazy night. One crazy night. It's like the hangover. Yes. Part negative four. Radio host and comedian Phil Hendry voices a character, Jeff Dowder, who is very similar to Jeff Dowd's inspired character, The Dude. Okay. Did you ever listen to Phil Hendry? I don't... H- Hendry? Hendry. I know Doug Hendry. I don't know Doug Hendry. I think he's a firefighter. But who's this uh, Doug Hendry? Phil Hendry <laughs> does. He does. So, again, I haven't. I don't know if he still does this. I haven't heard him in a long time. I 
Back when I was hardcore into radio. Every time you say Phil Hendry, I think you're going to say Phil Hartman, and it makes me a little bit sad. Yeah, no, that would be, yeah, that, that's a shame. Phil Hendry did, had this radio show. He was a radio guy. Um, so I listened to maybe like 1999 to 2000 and four 2005 just kind of like a norm augustine it's not norm august so i was pod- podcasting is kind of maybe what killed it right like i listened to radio a lot npr talk radio as well as am talk radio but not necessarily the conservative shit every once in a while i'd listen to that just if there was nothing else on just to get my blood pressure up but rush limbaugh yeah i never even well never him right okay. but you know i would well if i'd be in the car so you say I'd be listening to a lot. Anyway, Phil Hendry. So like, I would actually like tune in. So I kind of maybe get hooked in these things when I'd be driving around. But then I got hooked. So then even if I was at home, I would like turn on my radio to tune in. Like Garrison Keillor, Prairie Home Companion. It it's was like, all moments. right, Saturday. Yeah. Six o'clock. I'm turning on the radio. Let's I used like, to listen to that once in a while. Oh, it's, it's Saturday six. Sure. Yeah, I'd listen to it like. If I found myself in the car, you know, I wouldn't turn it on at home, really. Well, so that's the thing. I made that transition to actually turning it on at home. Holy shit. Yeah, that's a big move right there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't do that anymore, but I went through a period. How would you even, like, like, put emanate radio through the home like that? I had radios. I would do it. What what do you mean radios? (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) <laughs> there was there was like radio radio receivers. I don't. So I had like a I'm not stereo being a dick. I system. Don't really like, like a stereo system, like a, a like a, with an antenna or something. And or? it could turn and it could, it could tune in FM and AM okay. radio. Gotcha. I also had a like your receiver had a, like a radio that setting. also was an AM FM radio as though that as used to be a popular combo. Well, right, no, I know that, but like you're not gonna like okay, we're tooling about the house. I'm gonna put my bedroom alarm clock radio on, and that's gonna be the entertainment for the home. But you had a receiver that had a radio setting. You could turn it, tune it yes. to FM, and then yeah. you had like some like little wire that came out the back or something. Right. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. You didn't have just like a dedicated like here's our radio. And hey, it's Saturday night, kids. So come I on, that little wire Hunker down in like, front oh, of the radio. Saturday. Let's tune into to our favorite stories. <laughs> well, I oh my god, the aliens are attacking us. Clear memories of listening to it, turn tuning it in on the uh, the little nightstand radio sometimes. Yeah, that's but that's once you were like settled in for the evening, right? Not like, or like I remember, about or home. you know, I'd be in there because I'd be home companion, six p.m. on a Saturday. You're not going to tune it in on your nightstand alarm well, clock if radio. I'm in there doing something, like I'm folding clothes or something like that. I like hope it wouldn't off. take an hour to do that. No, but then once I start, it's just like I'm going to hang out in here and listen to the rest. And then you'll of lay it. on top but, of your folded anyway, clothes I and have to put an antenna in the dryer. I okay. bought an antenna. Okay, you bought a an antenna. Powered antenna. They were, they made all the difference because for my radio, because the, it was still kind of crackly at times. Always, always always, always. And I was like, I can't take the crackling anymore. Like in the car, it was never crackly. No, but no, always in in the home. It was all crackly. So I I went and I spent like 50 bucks at Best Buy or Circuit City or something on a powered antenna that I hooked into, you know, you know, instead of the little wire. 
plug this thing in the back. Or like taking a coat hanger and wrapping the wire around the coat hanger and running the coat hanger up the stairway and out the window and trying to touch it to metal or hold on to it. Because if you held on to it, then your body acted as an antenna and it was like the bus came in crystal clear. You could listen to Leonard Skinner so good that way. But as soon as you let go of it, it sucked. So, yeah, I'd wrap it around, whatever. But that powered antenna, we got one of those finally, and it was like it changed our life. Because then you could have crystal clear radio in any room. Didn't matter where you put that shit. I wasn't really listening to Prairie Home Companion too much. Yeah. See, I, I'm, I'll own it. I was. And I'd listen to... AM radio, I'd listen to, you know, so late at night they had, so here's the thing, AM radio, you'd have during the day, all the conservative blowhards talking total shit. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I'm just going to be total shit. Well, yeah, of course, but that's, yeah, that's what they do. That's what everybody does, though. And like getting people out there all worked up, people calling in, yeah, I know Ah, what you mean. Right. You know, John Kerry is a blah, 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 whatever, right? right? Mm Mm-hmm. This is the truth and no one will right. Then right. At, in the evening time, it would switch. It would not be conservative anymore, but all throughout the evening and then late at night, it would be paranormal shows. <laughs> Par- People what? talking about how like aliens are landing or Atlantis. Aquatic or monkey boys. All this stuff. Yeah, they would be going on. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> that was, well, you know, people would call up to talk about this stuff. And they're like, you know, this report in Florida, that sounds completely like it's one of the uh, sentient en- energy orbs oh. that we know came from Atlantis in 1972 and touched down in Spokane, Washington. And I'm not sure why the media won't pick this up. You know what I mean? Like it was the same fucking stuff, but with stuff that was literally fucking insane. Wasn't so there? There was a it was long just running. Like, wasn't there a long running the show during the day? It's the same fucking shit. Anyway, there, yes. there was there was a guy, a long running show, AM radio, like paranormal guy. Who was it? Art Bell. And then he had that famous broadcast, and it got cut off or something. Is this where you're going with this? It's not where I'm going with this. I'm getting eventually to Phil Hendry and what he did. Okay. And his character similar to Jeff Dowd. But we'll take as long as it takes to get there. No, we'll take... Yeah, I don't care. It starts to get late. Anything can happen. Yeah. Do you hear that? I think it's a skunk ape. I learned about them on these paranormal shows. Skunk ape? Is that a Florida thing? Yeah. Of course it is. No, it's Some just kind my of Florida dog. cryptozoological fun thing. I love supposedly. cryptozoology. Well, you know, listen to some late night AM radio. They talk about that a lot. I'm going to try it tonight. Jersey Devil. It's one of my Jersey personal Devil. favorites. So Phil Hendry. All right. He here had we go. a show. Yes. Um, that I just randomly discovered one day and on, it freaking blew my mind on, on AM, radio. AM radio. Okay. And it was on weekday, weeknights, I think at like maybe 9 p.m., like 9 to 11. What years? Here. And I would every night try to tune into that, that I could. When was this? So I started listening to him in 1999. So I knew you here. So I remember where I lived at the time and where I first discovered him. And probably from like 1999 to maybe 2001, I, I listened. I think eventually the local channel here stopped carrying him. 
because it was a fucking weird show. So here's what he would do. (laughs) He was like a, you know, he was just like a standard radio guy, right? He had the radio voice. He was doing his thing. Oh, here we all are. The Phil Henry, all this stuff, you know, like, like Amory, it was this call in show. Good evening, I'm Phil Hendry. So he had his call-in show, and he would be there with guests. Except he actually, and I did not realize this at first. It wasn't until maybe I listened for a couple weeks or even longer on the internet, I eventually looked up some information and figured out it wasn't actually... He was playing the guests. He was doing both. Right. I mean, obviously, I figured out at some point that these guests were just like a joke, right? But again, he starts out playing it straight. Like, here I am with the whatever, right? CEO of Amax Corporation um, talking about their new policy for equal employment, blah, blah, right? And it starts out straight, like completely straight. And people are calling in and talking and he's doing both characters and he's switching. And it's like to hear him work, to think it's the same guy doing it. It's fucked up. I like, love that. I like love cutting that himself shit. off doing it all. And the other uh, voice cutting guest, himself off. Ugh. the guest was always on like a crackly, like he was on the phone kind of, and like Phil's as the the host voice was, was, um, you know, crystal clear. So he would actually physically move. He had like a phone in his hand and like a microphone in front of him. And he would like physically move back and forth to be on the phone or to be on the mic, to be the two characters. Or did he have some sort of like, could he switch it? And put that effect on it, maybe with... Well, I think what I saw, because I saw pictures and stuff, and it looked like he had the phone. He would, like, move back and forth. Oh, my goodness. But I can't say for sure. That's fucking crazy. And so he would do these, but again, they would slowly descend into such insanity, right? Like, the, the guest would let some racist comment slip or something... Or they, something would happen, and then people would all call up all mad, and it was insane performance art. It's like it sounds like Firesign Theater every night. Every night he would just do it again and again. It sounds like Firesign Theater. Firesign Theater. That sounds familiar to me, but I don't know exactly what the. It's, I can't. It smacks of this very much. Um, Again, one of the guys at the bar I worked at used to come in. He was one of the okay ones. He was one of the good ones. But he brought me a CD of Firesign Theater, and it was... Now, this was multiple guys. It wasn't, like, Mm -hmm. one guy doing it, but it was sort of this absurdist, like, just descent into madness sort of thing. But did they have, like, an audience participation where people that weren't necessarily in on the joke would tune in? Because that was the big part of this, right? Like, it was all... Well, yeah, they began as live radio. So, I think so. I'm I'm not sure if there was a call-in component to it, but they were live radio, and then they transitioned into recordings. Yeah. But, like, so, yeah. And, again, it would be that slow build-up. It was crazy, but it was, like... And he'd do this every, like, five nights a week? Yes, five nights a week he would do this. Jesus. And I tuned in. I tried to tune in like almost, like every night that I was like at like at home. I was like, all right. Oh, it's nine o'clock. I'm tuning in. Tune in to Phil Hendry. How much of that do you think he wrote? I don't know. I mean, I think he might. Because again, a lot of it was call in. I think a lot of it was maybe improvised. Like he had some ideas and some things lined up. But a lot of it was, you know, people would call. A lot of it was just him arguing with the people, right? And in some ways, he was just making fun of the whole AM arguing format. Right. 
but it was it was brilliant. It was it was it was it was brilliant. And again, the talent, the voices, everything. So anyway, so one of his characters that he had, because he would have kind of like recurring people yeah. come in, like oh, you know, here to talk about the, you know, whatever. And this was also like you know. Yeah, because like I started in 99, but I was definitely listening after 2001 because I definitely remember like right post September 11th, he was on the air talking about September 11th. Talk about some balls and skating some tricky waters. <laughs> I remember that. And uh, but yeah, he would have the same character. So like, oh, here we have whatever, you know, like Jeff Dowder here to talk about the events in New York last week but right you know and it would be so he had jeff dowder who was a very dude-like figure so that's all i wanted to give a shout out to phil hendry i mean i liked his i liked his shtick for a while fantastic he left radio on april 27 2006 to pursue acting he was on nbc's sitcom teachers as cynical history teacher dick green yeah, I mean, if you search, you could probably find some audio of some of his old shows. Yep, so he's an actor and a voiceover artist now. Kind of a bummer that, but I mean, I can't imagine keeping that level of fucking day in, day out. Right. Madness. How long was the show? Was it a four-hour show? I like think it was, it, in our market, I think they only played it for two hours. He didn't go national show... till 99, by the way. So, like, you tuned in right when he was, like, doing it. Yeah. So, good on you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, I found just like everyone else, I randomly found it on the radio, and at, and I, at first I, I didn't get the joke. I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> right. Like, I was listening to it, like, okay, some weird radio, it's just like normal talk radio stuff, and I had it on, kind of, and then like, I was like, wait, what? What's going on? <laughs> like, it took it, I was like, what? Wait a minute, what? And then, like, you know, I eventually was like, okay, this cannot be, this just can't be real. But, uh, yeah. Um, I forgot what I was going to say, but yeah, he was, anyway, Phil Well, Henry. you were going to say it wasn't Maybe it wasn't the full program. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I it would be two, like, in our market, where I had it, only two hours. It was, it was on for two hours, but I was pretty sure the show was longer than that. Because it always seemed like, okay, you know, he would be something like, all right, when we come back, it's going to be, we're going to talk to so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. But then, like, because he would kind of do else. it in segments. Like, there might yeah. be, like... Every hour, it might kind of reset with a new guest and a new thing happening. Right. And the idea is, you know, people don't sit again, listen to the radio for four hours straight. So he can just keep doing it again and again, night after night. People just tune in. <laughs> don't. It's the first time they've heard it. Don't realize that he's just kind of making fun of everybody. It's kind of beautiful. And everyone starts calling in all angry. What do you mean? Well, it is kind of Norm Augustinus in a way. You know, it's performance art. Yes, it is perform. It was performance art for sure. The expressions on their faces. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time you played that fucker for me. I <laughs> fell out of your car laughing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he really fell off the deep end, though. 
Yeah, he did. He went. He fell off the deep end. But I don't know. Maybe and, one day I'll check him out again. But. And to think he was cruising around the same, like we were probably within 500 feet of him at one point. Yeah. Well, he made a reference to going to the... I know, the Clearwater Mall. The Clearwater Mall. I the, think he not made a just reference. the Clearwater Mall, the Dillard's at the Clearwater Mall. Right, exactly. My wife worked there for a while. Yeah. Like, probably while he was there. Right, because like he, like went, he went into the bathroom and had some insane story about what happened in the bathroom to him there. Jeez. Involving, like, feces or something. It's And I think adult diapers, perhaps. Yeah. It's terrifying. Your to wife think. was probably there when that happened. Probably. There's a good chance of it. Man, that is terrifying. Because he's... Whew-wee. Yeah, I tried to get back into him a couple of years after you introduced me, and it's like... Mm, kind of like... When people tune into this show, it's like, eh, it seemed like a good idea. It's about the Big Lebowski. How shitty can it be? I will say that, um, you know my mom. Her name is Christine. Yes. She's a crossing guard. Oh, she, I didn't know that. Yeah, she looks like a cop. She's got like the uniform and the little bits of fluorescence. She's got the uh, little triangles on the palms of her gloves so she can put no. her hand up to say stop. And there's like a fluorescent triangle. Nice. On it. Yeah, it's, it's nice. And she say, you go there. You. She points and gestures. She's out in the middle of the road. She's got the hat on. Little insignias. It's fucking menacing. Anyway. She told me today she was trying to stop traffic and this one guy like stopped, but he didn't, he kind of went through and kind of came into the intersection where all the elementary school children are, you know, they're fucking crossing. It's like, you stop. And he kind of didn't stop. He came through halfway through the intersection and she walked up to his car and knocked on his window and he timidly rolled it down a little bit. And she said, what are you doing? There are rules. And she had to stop herself from saying, man. (laughs) (laughs) So I think our work here is done. Yes. Nice. (laughs) We can all retire to the poop deck. Next time on Gutter Balls. Fortunately, I'm adhering to a pretty strict uh, drug uh, regimen. 